you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. We just got some very nice new audio equipment courtesy of my brother. It's what he got me for Christmas. Um, Big supporter of the pod. Thank you, Griffin. You're the best. So, you guys are about to be able to hear the sirens that pass by our apartment so much more clearly now. And the train. And the train, which just went by just now. And the radiator. Which isn't on uh, because it was like 47 degrees today in January in Chicago. Um, But I am, I'm cold. I wish it was summer. I was really <laughs> cold all day, and I was like, I know it's kind of warm out, and like global warming is real and happening to us, but could the radiator please turn on? It, it is a absolute mystery to me who controls the radiators, if anyone. I think it's like, I don't know how they work, actually. I don't either. I don't want to help myself. I've just been picturing Kumaji from Spirited Away, the boiler man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And his little soot balls, because he's huge sugar, too. All right, so that's how the radiator system in our apartment works. I would love to. I would love to meet our version of Kamaji. I hope he has a really strong Chicago accent. <laughs> Probably. Well, guys, I'm gonna be honest. We missed you. We really did. We missed you. We missed the pod. We missed each other. Um, speaking for myself, we were away for a long time. We were. <laughs> well, we've been back for like a week. <laughs> I don't miss true. you that much. I'm it's seeing you every day. That's true. It had we recorded this a little bit earlier. And, like, as we were getting closer to our recording day, I was like, oh, I'm excited to talk about season two. Season two uh, is a little crazy. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in season one, crazy. But I think, I mean, season two is just kind of like, you thought. Yeah, season two is like Degrassi, it goes there. Having never watched Degrassi. The tagline for Degrassi is, it goes there, and season two goes there. Gotcha. Yeah. How did you never watch Degrassi? I know Canadians, it's Degrassi, whatever. You know, I just have incredibly bizarre cultural gaps that I'm working on filling them in, but, like, there's so much media to consume. I've, I've accepted that I will never watch Sailor Moon, and not because I don't want to, but just, like, that ship has sailed, and it's just never coming back. I like Sailor Moon. I never watched any Naruto, though. That I did watch. <laughs> you do love Naruto. Wait, no, you. I never watched it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, lo- I love you Naruto. You love Naruto. Okay, I lo- I'll let actually, you do a Naruto bonus episode. More importantly, we should do an Inuyasha bonus episode. Because uh, there are several movies. I, there may be Naruto movies, I don't know, but there are like four separate like full-length feature films about Inuyasha, and it's amazing. I always am shocked when I find out that people I know were like really big <laughs> anime freaks growing up. Like, I, my friend Savannah told me that she was an anime freak and like did anime cons, and like if you ever met her, you'd be like, Oh, her because it's so atypical of her personality. But I feel like a lot of people did get into anime. I sometimes I feel like I'm the outsider because I never did. I I dabbled. I had a few that I loved, um, but I never went to cons. Uh, just was not. Really I would never go to a con for anything. I don't think. Star Trek. Mm, no, I love Star Trek. When I see people who like line up at Comic Con, and like, no offense if you are a Comic Con person, like, I love you of that much passion. But when I see people who like line up for that stuff, I'm like, that's a lot of time and money for a television show. But considering what we do, this is a lot of time and money for a television show. 
Oh, and maybe we should tell you what we do. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, the podcast where we are going to talk about season two of Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're back. We are so back, right? We are back. Three. Back. All right. I'm glad you got there. Thanks. I, I was I, midway through. I was like, "Oh God, this bit is not. I'm keeping it. I'm not cutting it out." I feel like as millennial women, we're kind of obligated to make a Backstreet Boys reference whenever possible. Mayhaps, yeah. It's part of the contract. Yeah. So, are you ready? Yeah. Should we just jump right in? Do we want to do um, a recap? I've completely forgotten how this works. Yeah, we recap, and okay. then we theme. Yep. And then we Q&O. We recap. Cool. So, uh, if you're new here, which, uh, start with season one if you're new here, but... Uh, or don't. I or mean, don't. I actually feel like there's some people who are, like, uh, who, like, treat season one of Teen Wolf like season one of Parks and Rec, where you just, like, don't watch it. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there are those people, but that's wrong. Because, I mean, season one of Parks is kind of garbage, and season one of Teen Wolf is, like... Not as garbage. Passable, enjoyable television. Yeah. Also, guys, are you hearing the radiator? Because we talked about it, and now it's gone. We sure did. Um, so if you're new here to the Teen Wolf Rewolf, uh, the thing that we like to do to get us into the episode is do like a little one-minute recap. We trade off, uh, to be fair, and I went first on the brench, so it is Christian's turn to, uh, to recap what happened in uh, Season 2, Episode 1, which was a lot. So, uh, are you ready? Uh, can you remind me how the episode starts? I think I can do it from there. So, it's literally a flashback to all of the events from the previous episode, and then Scott is four-legged running through the forest. Oh, to see Allison. Yeah. Okay. You got it? Mm, maybe. You know what? Go ahead. We'll see how far I get. Okay. One, two, three, one. So, per Julia, is a flashback <laughs> where... Scott is remembering everything from the season finale of season one, and then he is four-legged running through the forest. We love Teen Wolf. He goes see Allison, and then, like, her mom comes in, and he's hiding on the roof, and she gives her the dress for the funeral, and, like, because they have to go bury Kate, which is, like, how do people even do that? How do you bury your murderer in your family? Like, I don't know. (laughs) And then we see this weird clip where Scott remembers that Chris, like, threatened him with a shotgun. Do I? Did, did <laughs> no, I make that up? Okay. No, you're remembering and then we cut right. to the hospital and then Styles is still waiting for Lydia and then she tries to take a shower and then the grossest thing happens where all this hair comes out of the drain and then she just flies out the window naked and then she runs away for the episode. And then Scott and Styles try to go looking for them and then they get caught in a trap by the Argent house and then Argent makes his way against Scott. And then it's the next day, kind of, no, it's Isaac in the cemetery, and um, the Omega eats somebody's liver. It's pretty gross, and it's really sad. And then um, they watch the funeral, and some guy is stalking Allison, and I, oh my gosh. So you I know did watch it in chunks, so. And actually, I lied to you. That's not how the episode starts. <gasps> how does it start? I completely forgot. Jackson, it's Jackson coming out of the water with his That's right. t-shirt. And you know what? I had I a note on that, too, because literally... Uh, guess what, friends? Russell Mulcahy directed this episode, and uh, as we've discussed previously, his signature is water. Who wrote this episode? We did create it. Okay, we forgot to go through that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like those are that's standard fare. So it really is. Well, I was actually looking through um kind of the list of who directed and who wrote this season. Russell Mulcahy directed the episode. Um, cool. But this is also kind of a callback to season one pilot, where I think the same thing happened. I'm pretty sure that 
Scott, Scott gave a throat it. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing happened to Scott oh, no, when no. he goes in the swimming pool. <laughs> no, I mean, that, sure, that, that definitely is a callback. Yeah. But, yeah, um, Jackson is, like, in the water with him. So I feel like it would probably be more productive if um, I started off where you left off. Although, no, no, graveyard? Just, no, just try to do the whole thing. We'll see. It, we'll just fill in the gaps. The idea is to see that we can do it in a bit. Not Which that we do it. Because if you, no, no, no. Because if you do it, do the latter half of the episode, then we're doing it in two minutes. And the idea is that we need to be able to condense it into one. I'm really, thank you for explaining that concept. Gotcha. Cool. Are you being sarcastic? Because I did feel no. a little mansplaining halfway through. It was, it was the tiniest bit pedantic, but that's okay. Um, I, I still love you. It's fine. Um, okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Uno, dos, tres. Okay, so lights up. Um, Jackson is coming out of the water for some reason. We don't know how he got there. His shirt is completely torn off. He's been bitten. Flash to Scott running um, on all fours. He uh, has a flashback to uh, Argent finding him in the car in the middle of a field with Allison, who promises never to see each other again. But unsurprised, they're still seeing each other. Uh, they are interrupted in their sexy times, and then her mom comes in and is like, oh, we're going to bury Kate tomorrow, and the others are coming. We don't know who they are. Um, hospital. Allison, uh, no, 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 Lydia, um, is, is like, looking well, she goes to take a shower, um, there's some shenanigans going on with, um, Styles in the lobby, because he's been there all weekend, and then, uh, Lydia screams and disappears, that starts off, like, a really big manhunt for her, um, there's some school time stuff, uh, Coach Finstock makes some kind of, like, naughty joke about Lydia, which is kind of uncouth, um, there's a homeless man outside of the school, searching through the trash, Mm, then the funeral, oh, some girls are bullying Allison because uh, they hear that her aunt was, like, a serial murderer, and then... Uh, oh, your time is gone. Yeah, I'm sure it is. There's so much. There's a lot. Okay, now I feel less bad. No, about that's not even half of the episode. Okay, so to fill in the gaps, Allison is, is has trouble with the idea of going to the funeral. Scott agrees to go sit by the funeral, basically be like, I'll be out of the way, but I'll be there with you because Scott is a hero. Um, we get the first introduction to Matt. Is that his name? Yes. The incel who takes pictures of Allison. What a creep. Yeah, he's... I love that we know he's creepy right off the bat. It's it's the camera. It's liter- and his face. And the fact that he sneaks under the, like, police line to go take pictures of Allison at a funeral. Just of her. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then Scott and Styles get caught at the funeral. Um, we see the sheriff interview Isaac and his dad. And then make no moves to removing Isaac from his abusive home situation. Oh, at the dirt in the graveyard, Derek approaches Isaac, and we know that he's asking if he can keep it. And yeah, Isaac, obviously says yes, and his life is fucked. Yeah. Um. Later, we hear that there is an accident in an ambulance, and Scott and Styles go to investigate, and it turns out that this guy has been killed by we think the Omega, and then Lydia shows up in the woods, and then while Scott is in the woods, they see the Omega. He is cut in half by Gerard with a sword. They declare war, basically. Yeah, not in so many words, but then Derek says it out loud for you, just in case you were not clear on what was happening. Um, Sometimes I could use the help, you know? Yeah. Clearly, because I didn't <laughs> understand this episode well enough to, pay, to, to know the details of it. Actually, um, no, I just watched the episode. There's a little tidbit, too, that we kind of missed when Lydia escapes from the hospital. Um, Allison and Scott and Styles go looking for her. Um, I mentioned that. And they, Well, but they end up at the Hale House. And I, yeah, Chris was there. I mentioned that part, too. Yeah, it, it's just... Anyway, all right, cool. So we've done our recap. 
kind y'all, of. Y'all know what happened. Yeah, I uh, maybe rewatch the episode. You're right. It is deeply complicated, and the pacing is so much so that like the first part of the episode seems like a lot more happens. It's very crammed um, because they're trying to introduce all of these storylines. Um, yeah, because we either needed to introduce yeah. Isaac or Gerard in this episode, and they yeah, picked both. Gerard. And and Matt, like either you need to pick two of the three. I mean, I mm, the thing is, if you're gonna do that, I think the effective way to do it is to kind of be like, oh, is one of them gonna be the big bad? But you kind of know right off the bat that Gerard is the big bad of this season. There's no suspense leading into the second episode about what that is. Um, well, Matt is also one of the big bads of this season too, he but is, he's kind but of a red herring. Yeah, at this point, yeah. So. Yeah, you're not suspicious of him other than, like, the he's fact a that creepy he is creepy. Teenage boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a lot of creep creepiness that happens. Yeah. And um, I think kind of a la the cr- creepiness of the people and, like, people who are, like, seeking to gain control over people in this episode are themes for how we're going to talk about it. I saw the look on your face. I know Very it was a bad nice. segue. No, no, no. I loved it. The theme for this episode is going to be control. So what do you want to talk about first? Who is controlling who? Who is seeking control? What do you think is... What character do you want to dive into in their relationship to control in this episode? You know, I think I would love to talk about Scott. Well, one, because he's, you know, the main character. But two, like, I think that he and Allison in this episode are both struggling for control together and in very separate ways because... In one sense, they're struggling for control over their relationship, and then they're both struggling for control over their relations. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. It's, um, I think Allison also, like, starts the season feeling very out of control for reasons aside from Scott. I think Mm -hmm. the idea that she has to come to terms with, like, what Kate did and, like, who she actually was is really sending Allison spinning because she had such a clear idea of how her life was laid out until even, like, mid-season one. Yeah. And it was really only in the last two episodes that she realized just how evil Kate was and, like, how she no longer represented what Allison thought she was. So when you're trying to recover from that and the grief of her dying, um, she really is trying to regain a sense of reality. And I think what Scott says to her um, in the classroom when she's freaking out when he's like, you can be sad for you because you still lost someone. Like, even if they were a monster, like, you didn't think that of Kate until, you know, you do. Which it's is so emotionally intelligent of Scott. Because you'd think he could be like, well, she was crazy because that's what I would be like. Um, it's very empathetic. Scott uh, is probably the most empathetic person on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> true alpha. Um, yeah, that, that scene is very, very tender. And I think part of the issue that these characters are going through, and particularly um, Scott and Allison, is that, okay, they've vanquished the big bad. What comes next? Because their lives are irrevocably changed, but because they've, I mean, at, as of this point, like the main physical threat to them has been, you know, banished, yeah. taken care of. They're kind of rudderless at this point. Um, there's like the emotional hurdles of going through uh, Kate's funeral or whatever, and everybody's still really worried about Lydia. But it's like you kind of there's a sense of feeling kind of adrift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because like, what is Scott supposed to do now at this point in life? Yeah, it's funny. It kind of has a little bit of Harry Potter syndrome where every year is like the start to a new year, and you're like, well, what could possibly go wrong? And then 
in the later and then in the later books you understand that everything is going to keep going on but for the first three harry potter books you're like another year at hogwarts and then who's gonna mess it all up this time yeah who's gonna show up in like mid-april to make it really (laughs) hard for us yeah (laughs) which is kind of how every season of teen wolf starts for the first couple of seasons where you're like well this that thing is gone you know Mm -hmm. and lots of strange like ooky things are introduced in this episode so they don't get any time to rest no this episode and i was saying this to you earlier is dark 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 and i think that is in part the writers being like we're kind of leaving behind you know any kind of levity from season one but we see somebody get cut in half in this episode and it is not like you just hear the knife like sound no literally and the the drop you see the guts fall out of this body which is Clearly they did it in low light because otherwise it would be unwatchable because it is deeply disturbing. And I'm not somebody who's, like, put off by gore. No, but I mean, like, Marvel could never. No. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. Marvel has <laughs> no concept of body horror or what's appropriate body horror. And this is a teen show, like, yeah. airing on Netflix television. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that body horror is something that you can introduce in there, like, the Harry Potter reference, I think, like, some of the best body horror in, like, children's media is in the sixth book, specifically the second temple scene. Mm-hmm. But there's enough cover. Like, the fact that, you know, you don't see them take Malfoy's shirt off to see, like, the gashes, this has no sense of protection. Well, uh, yeah, and you know what's kind of like the, sorry, just to think about Harry Potter, when all of his bones get removed? Yeah. I'm like, that's disgusting. Nasty, but like, they shield it in humor. <laughs> yes, they do. And it's just like, I don't know, like a floppy little sleeve. Um, yeah. Yeah, his his bones are literally just <laughs> coming out of his hands. Um, yeah, this is kind of gory. You know that Gerard means real business. Um, but that whole that whole feeling of, like, being kind of unmoored and lost, mm-hmm. uh, there's a desperate desire to bring things back in and mm-hmm. to, like, rein it in and regain control of your life. Um, which is kind of what, which is what they were trying to accomplish this yeah. entire episode. Which I think is also a, a major symptom of Grievous. Yes, absolutely. And, like, I'm not going to give Gerard a pass because he's, like, an evil son of a bitch, but, like, he, when he kills the Omega and he kills him with a sword, which is just, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Eh, I don't know how I'd rather him do it, but the sword was just so gratuitous. But he kills him with a sword, and he says that's for killing my daughter. And it's not as if he thinks that this Omega killed Kate. Obviously, he didn't. It's just kind of like, I will, you know, seek vengeance on anybody like the person who did this. Yeah. Um, which is not something I, 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 anybody can fundamentally agree with. But, like, in the sense of grief, when you are trying to put your life back together, like, that probably seems like an impossible option. And that particular conceit really plays into what happens a lot in Teen Wolf, which is the us versus them uh, scenario versus, like, season one was very much like an us versus a monster kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little bit of us versus, versus them going on with the Argents, but you're not really on their side because you just side with Scott. But, you know, here it's very much like there is a line being drawn between werewolves and the people who sympathize with them and the I actually think season two and maybe six are six B are kind of the only seasons that most directly kind of yes. influence like that level of conflict because most of the seasons have a big bad. Um, 
And, like, you do see a little bit of us versus them with the alpha pack, but it's not, like, they they are an issue in that season, but they're really probably just a drop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one thing that I find really interesting about Teen Wolf is its capacity for, like, multiple villains operating kind of simultaneously. Yeah, we see it in this season. I actually think really mm-hmm. intelligently done. And, I mean, and with Kate, too, like, Kate and uh, the alpha. Yeah. They're both bad, like... There's room for multiple kinds of evil, which I think is rare, like, in children's media, mm-hmm. um, or media made for teens. So, but bravo, Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> on that. Good well, job. it's like how Umbridge is evil, but Voldemort is also evil. Yes. Back to Harry Potter. I don't know why this is being such a Harry Potter episode. We're, we're, we're mad at J.K. Rowling. We're mad at J.K. Rowling. We do not agree with any of the statements she's made as of late. It's really ruining our opinions on... Our fond memories, but unfortunately, Harry Potter is our cultural touchstone that uh, kind of defined children's media of the last, you know, three decades. So exactly. So back to control. Yeah, control is hot now. We're too back to control. I kind of want to talk about Jackson. Please do. Yeah, Jackson is, I think, one of the most interesting examples of like spiraling out of control in this episode. Because he's the only person who you can really see it in a physical manner because he's just gushing black blood. Yes, we neglected to mention that in our recap, but it, it, oh, it yeah. is... Oh, yeah. By the by. Yeah. Um, his, bite, his body is evidently rejecting, rejecting the bite. Um, and so what we see with Jackson is an internal conflict externalized um, because of the blood. And he is somebody who is so prideful in thinking that he doesn't need a pack or would end up with a pack with his bite, thinking that he can be on his own, that he can't really reach out for help. And even when Derek sees it, Derek is like, doesn't know what to do. But had Jackson been like, you are my alpha, what mm-hmm. do I do? He might have been a little bit more help. And instead he just melts into the shadows and goes, goes where? <laughs> to do, he's, probably do some, he's probably doing some web emptying. <laughs> well, and I'm just... I'm very confused by the concept of, like, space in this episode, but we can get into that later. Um, I, yeah. Very confusing. Mm, Yeah. There's some artistic failures in this episode. (laughs) Continuity Um, failures, really. Yeah, and it is something that, like, he is clearly suffering through alone. And, like, Jackson deserves a lot of what's coming to him. Not so much in this season. Um, Like, not so much in, like, later episodes in this season. I just don't think he, you know, deserves to can him a fate. Um, but he's made himself so isolated that he has no way to control what's happening to him. And it's, you know, showing up in this really grotesque physical way. What I think is interesting about that is given what we know about the conclusion of this season, um, and like the mistranslation of the Panama seeks a friend being that the Panama seeks a master, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jackson is so adamant that he doesn't want to be controlled. He conceives, he perceives himself to be the alpha mm-hmm. or like the the alpha masculine lone wolf but instead like the form that he morphs into like desires a master mm-hmm. which i just think is such an interesting dichotomy well i also think desire a master is also um, a symptom of jackson's desire for approval yeah yeah um desire of approval or even like oh i don't know why this has made me think about fleabag but like one of the most affecting moments in fleabag is when she's in the confessional and she's like i just want to be told what to do yeah and i think a lot of people just want to be told what what to to do do. i i deeply relate to that and even when you feel like oh i want to be independent i want to 
have all this swagger and like I want people to look at me like I know exactly what I'm doing with my life. What I really want is to be perfect. Well, and then it's scary. Yeah. You c- there's no way to know what you're doing is right. And even if someone's telling you what to do is wrong in the way that Matt does, at least the Canama had someone to guide it. Yeah, and I think the independence thing really stems from Jack's relationship with his parents because he doesn't want, like, he wants their approval, but he also kind of sees the only way to get their approval is, like, being perfect and independent and, like, not needing mm-hmm. their attention, which is so funny because they seem to offer it very willingly, but. I don't know what it's like to be adopted. Yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, I say, as a person who does not know what it's like to be adopted, but yeah. just generally, it must be very complicated. complicated yeah. It's funny, I used to get horrible nosebleeds when I was little. I mean, like, would wake up and just, it would just be gushing, like, when I was probably, like, eight or nine. So when I see that image of Jackson and Matt just covered in the black <laughs> blood, I was like, oh, I've totally been there. <laughs> I was in a nosebleed in high school that lasted for so long that it passed out. That's terrible. I've never had a nosebleed. Um, it's apparently I have weak capillaries in my nose. Oh, I have weak lungs. Everybody's got Everyone's got their something. something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was always just kind of like, my homies who get nosebleeds know what's up. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to talk about someone else? I feel like that's, Jackson is kind of not really a, a big plot factor in this episode, but they think his relationship with Nicole is interesting. I want to talk about Lydia, who is also not a technically big plot factor in this episode, but she is somebody who is literally out of control. Out of control, and this is kind of like the beginning of what's up with Lydia, because they take a very long time to reveal her supernatural uh, title. That's not what I mean, but like they take a very long time her to reveal species? what she is. Her species? Yeah. I don't know. Her people? Um, you don't know for a very long time she is um a banshee and but this is the origin of her screaming mm-hmm. and like scott can hear her screaming is that because he's a werewolf or is it because she's a banshee i don't know who's to say who's to say coke and alyssa um there this is the beginning of really horrible hallucinations for lydia mm-hmm. that continue throughout this season she wanders off into the woods for no reason naked if oh, someone right. told me I could go into the woods for three days naked and just hallucinate my whole way through and end up nine pounds lighter at the end, I'd do it. <laughs> I just can't imagine. I feel like the threat of frostbite would be too Can I just say, much. when Coach is like, it's going to get below 40 degrees out there. Oh my God. And we, we, we get the origin story of him losing a testicle. Um, every time anybody in Seattle's like, it's going to be below 40 degrees, I'm just like... If you live in California, I'm sorry, but oh my god, Californians are so weak. <laughs> weak, truly. I mean, I get it, you have earthquakes and fires, I could never deal with that stuff, but it was like literally 16 degrees two days ago here, and I was like, what up? Well, the thing about being hot is like, you can't do anything about being hot. Like, you need to go into an air-conditioned room or just like lie down and accept death, but if you're cold, you can build a fire, you can put on a coat, you can put on some socks. Yeah, but like, I didn't say Californians are strong for being hot. I said I no. think they're strong because they have earthquakes and wildfires. Oh, well, yes. But, like, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're cold, there's ways to fix it instead of not whining. If you're, not if you're naked, though. Yeah, that's true. But I was like, very below cold. 40. I mean, that is so cold to be naked. Yes. But the below 40 comment is made a lot in this show. <laughs> I was like, oh, below 40. It's also clearly, like, below 40 a lot because their breath is always coming out in puffs. Yeah. They look very cold they all the time. They do look very cold. Um, I 
don't think it's that far north since it switches to Southern California in season three. There's a lot that happens with uh, the locale of Teen Wolf, so bonkers. Um, yeah, but Lydia is out of control and remains out of control for almost this entire season. Yeah. And she is out of her own control, but in the control of Peter, which is interesting. Because you don't necessarily register, I mean, you do, you mm-hmm. don't necessarily register, like, him being the puppet master at yeah. first, but especially after the episode of her birthday party, it's you, hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. What I think is interesting about that is how clumsy his manipulation is of her, uh, which makes sense because, you know, he's doing it, like, beyond the grave. We don't really know what his skills are. Uh, as a werewolf, besides the fact that he's obviously like incredibly smart, blah blah blah, um, it takes him a really long time to get Lydia to the point where she can help him. Um, and part of me is like, that must just be trial and error. I don't know if we're supposed to read it as like uh, all of those steps that he takes are necessary, but I think he's just kind of fumbling around and taking her along for the ride. Peter, because, yeah, I think Peter is very skilled in grooming people. Which is what he does, but he obviously can't manipulate her to the point that he can just make her do the things yeah. that she has to be doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think this this is a really interesting journey for Lydia, and it's, in, so we've talked about this before, season one Lydia, you do know that she is smart, and you know that Styles sees it, but you don't really see her have a lot of kind of reconciliation with like the, Im- the image she's created for herself and the person she actually is. And then in the season next, we get a little bit of a wrench in that because she's so off the rails. But we do start to see more of, like, the Lydia who presents herself in season three, where she's kind of done being, you know, the hot yeah. popular girl. And I think that part of that is because Jackson's not on the show anymore, so she doesn't have any reason to be. And she just starts presenting herself as being what she is, and I think this is a journey for her. One that takes a long time to pay off, but I think ultimately it's, like, very worth it. Because you know that Lydia's smart, and to get her, and to get to watch her come into her own is like it's the best. Very cool. Very. I feel very. I appreciate that the Teen Wolf writers weren't sitting around being like, "Well, we have to keep her being like the hot mean girl." Yeah. They bring in Michelle Hannon for that. So Michelle Hannon, don't even mean. She's just hot. Have you had a headache? I have no idea. I feel like this is a. a you know what? It's like when you read a word in a book. You're mm-hmm. like, that's how this is word this word is pronounced, and then you say it out loud and no one looks at you and takes pictures. <laughs> True. Of I think it's Shelley Hennig. Um Yeah, and it's funny because it you will even see like a change in the way she dresses in season three. Part of that's just because the fashion changed. For the better. For the better. Well, I mean, like sort of quote unquote conservative fashion came in where you started wearing high necked things and I just think it looks better. It looks better on everybody. Um, yeah. Fashion just got better about <laughs> being good to people's bodies. It's still not there, let me tell you. No, but. and the 90s are coming back, so in the early aughts, which, uh, yeah, girl. You know, I bought those pair of low-rise, uh, not re- low-rise, but mid-rise uh, corduroys. They look very good on you. Uh, I it's because I bought them three sizes too big. There you go. Yep. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I think, I mean, I think that kind of tops off our discussion about Lydia. I, what I'm mostly excited to talk about is Lydia going forward, and, like, this is getting me excited to keep talking about her because she's so much of a bigger part in this season. She becomes very important. Yeah. And then um, she ends up being my favorite character forever. And then, well, 
So part of the reason that that's important is because this show has set you up to love styles. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're, like, an adult, uh, like we are, like, I, that is my child. Like, I I love him so much. I just want to protect him. If you're a teenager, you're like, I love styles. Uh, And you're like, why does Lydia deserve him? But she (laughs) does. The other way around. Like, you kind of don't understand why he still wants her after she's been so mean to him. But, like, this, it's not a redemption arc because Lydia doesn't need one, but it is, like, an arc of growth where you start to understand why the two of them are essentially together. I have never, like, there's so few pairings that end up being, like, endgame that I'm, like, in on. Like, Teen Wolf, again, is one of those shows where you ship exactly who you're supposed to ship, and... OTP, literally. Like, yeah. I think about Stadia all the time. I mean, I have to for the podcast, but I'm just like, it was done so well from yeah. day one. And you knew that they would never, you, it was one thing they knew, you knew they weren't going to fail you on. Of all of the things that Teen Wolf failed us on, which is many. Teen Wolf writers don't always understand what they're doing, but you know what they understand? The slow burn. They d- Yeah, the they s- really, that was the perfect slow burn. They understand the slow burn. Um, so, Lydia being my favorite character, maybe let's talk about you. Your favorite character, because we haven't talked about Derek yet. Oh, Derek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just like, oh, oh Derek. Derek. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're grabbing your you're pearls. putting inflection in my mouth uh-huh, that was sure. not there. No, it was there. I, I love Derek, but he's a real scumbag in this season. Um, Despicable. Like, a horrendous person. And uh, talk about Peter grooming Lydia. Yeah. Jack, I mean, Derek. Ew. Um, I, and this is not a justification um, at all. I don't think that Derek has had any really, like, strong, positive male relationships in his life with other men. Um, And so his relationships with, like, the boys, literal children, Mm -hmm. that he changes um, is just so weird and creepy, and it doesn't make any sense. And his relationship with Erica. Gross. When Um, he approaches her. And I know we're talking, like, three episodes from now. When he approaches her, he does it in, like, kind of a um, sexually domineering way. Oh, yeah. She's in a hospital gown. They're alone. It's dark. He's really close to her. And then later, when she, like, kisses him to try to distract him when he's teaching her werewolf school, he gets really mad at her. And I was always just like, Derek, you put that idea in her head. That was on you. What I think is interesting about Derek in this episode, and we don't get a lot of him because he's not in most of it, um, Mm -hmm is that you see kind of the two sides of him. He approaches Isaac um, after Isaac has been thrown from a backhoe into a grave by uh, an Omega <laughs> who goes and eats someone's liver. liver. I have questions about that. I want to talk about that, He was will be a lot of <laughs> um, logistical questions. Yeah, that's, that's the main problem with this episode. But, you know, and he's kind of... I mean, here's the thing. Like, Tyler Hecklin is very charming in this one. He's Superman. Yeah, he's literally Superman. He's literally Superman. And he's like, hey, like, you need some help? Um, And then at the end, when Scott is, like, running in the woods, um, Derek pulls him away and is like, I'm I'm literally trying to save this kid's neck because he doesn't understand the danger that he's in right now. Mm -hmm. And you see that relationship between Derek and Tyler takes such a long time to come to fruition um, because they are in conflict for most of the season. Yeah. So you see really those, like, two parts. Derek, who, like, truly very much cares about Scott and, like, really they should be a pack. And then Derek, who's trying to figure out what his life is going to be like as the alpha. Preying on children. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So much. Well, and so Derek wants 
works and like Derek wants to have all the control because mm-hmm. he's the alpha. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's weird because I, I think that he is somebody who demonstrates control through a lot of the season. He has a kind of a hand in, in every pot, which is interesting. Uh, on the subject, we should talk a little bit about Isaac, who next to Lydia has the second least amount of control in this episode and also maybe just in life. So it should be noted here that uh, Christian loves Isaac. He's my second favorite character, and I will never be uh, over how poorly managed the storyline was. Yes. Um, this, you kind of get a, a, a feeling he's not going to be a one-off, because you see him in that one scene, and then you see him again with the sheriff, like, and he shows up in the lacrosse uh, How are we supposed to believe that room? he was on the lacrosse team and we didn't know about? Him. Yeah, look, I have a lot of questions. I don't know how to answer that. Also, for you. like, this guy is so low and has no friends, but he plays lacrosse. I don't know if you've ever been a sports team before. Even if you're the worst person on the team, the team's usually like, yeah, hey, dude. But also, lacrosse is kind of like the perfect sport to hide your face, your face, your bruises. Um, Ouch. You no, know I'm just saying, like, if you play, if no, you play a hard contact sport, sport, you can. Yeah, you'll have. It's much easier to lie. Yeah, exactly. Um. Which is hilarious, which is not hilarious, but it's, uh, no, it's hilarious. not, it's not funny, but I'm just saying it's like very strange when the sheriff comes to talk to them and Isaac is like, I fell down or whatever he says, not, he got knocked down or like poked yeah. in the eye. It's like about the, 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 the black eye, which clearly has bothered yeah, him. Yeah. Cause like, say you got a ball to the face, man. Like it's, you play lacrosse. He says it's from lacrosse. He does? Okay. Yeah. Then I, um, no, I think uh, this is, that stance bothers me because Teen Wolf has never bothered to Google like any laws. No. Has never done any legal research about like what the sheriff's responsibility would be to would be if you suspect child abuse, which like I don't actually know what a sheriff does when they suspect child abuse, but if you are in a place of work and you work with children and you suspect any child abuse, you are obligated to report it. Oh, I'm I'm almost 100% certain that if you work in law enforcement in any capacity, you are going to have to report it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So if I am if I am obligated to report it to the sheriff, the sheriff should be obligated to do something about it. And child services never gets called for Isaac. Never. <laughs> At any point. At some point, he's just living with Derek, and the state's like, cool. But, like, okay, not only does the sheriff ask Isaac about his black eye in front of his father, which just to me seems like uh, ways to not talk to potentially abused children 101, um, but also, like, there are other things to quibble about in that scene. Like, if you really want more information, um, you're not supposed to operate heavy machinery until you're 18 years old. Isaac is operating a backhoe in this episode, um, and he clearly is not 18 years old. Well, of course he's 18. But, you know, in the show. Yeah. Like, there are so many avenues that the sheriff could explore there that he doesn't. Um, yeah. It's just kind of wild. Literally, I was watching that scene, and I was on my phone, and I was like, how old do you have to be to operate a backhoe? Because I was almost certain that he is not allowed to. I, I, I think, but this whole thing goes into, like, we need to introduce Isaac or Gerard in this episode. And I actually think Isaac is the one we should have introduced first because I think the kind of bigger story to start this is Derek building up his pack, and I think it would have been better pacing-wise to have the build-up to the funeral and then have it be the next episode, and that's how you introduce Gerard. Or Gerard comes in literally in the last scene. Yeah. Um... Yeah, because there, there was are, just not enough room. There wasn't enough room in this town for the two of them. Especially because Isaac becomes a recurring main Fair. character. Yeah. Um, it's just not fair. And Gerard comes either. back in lots of different ways, but like it's yeah, it's not fair to either of them. 
So I kind of but mm. wait, in terms of control, we were just talking yeah. about things we hated about the, the logistics. <laughs> but in terms of control for Isaac, you understand so immediately like how out of control he is. Uh, first by just being knocked into a grave. By the way, like the idea of him being the grave digger's son is like weirdly Shakespearean. Yeah, it's very Hamlet. Yeah. Um, and it it tells you, you know, that it brings up the idea that yes, Derek is grooming these children and is preying on them because he's clearly preying on the weak. Um, he picks kids who he know will say yes. Uh, but you also know exactly why Isaac picks the idea that like the idea that he could be stronger than the person who is hurting him you see that much more uh in the second episode but this this lays the groundwork for it yeah um i'm just saying like this is how we know that he's building up a pack and like yes you know that he's picked somebody who what does gerard say gerard goes through this weird little like explanation of everybody they're gonna kill and he just lists like all the traits of the characters god that was so dumb people please be smarter i'm trying so hard to like you it's insane like what they are very smart about versus uh what sucks Mm -hmm. um yeah isaac well and that and that's a whole thing with erica too um she's not in this episode and we probably have a different scene when we do talk about her but like, when she has a seizure, she's not in control mm-hmm. of herself. And becoming a werewolf, I assume, is part of the seizure? Yeah. Yeah, because it cures you of all of your... Um, they made Scott not have issues. asthma, so I'm That's assuming true. that it would get rid of, get rid of epilepsy. Gerard is assuming that all of Derek's cancer. So, uh, she's not in control. Boy's just lonely. But Boyd has other things that we dig up in, like, Motel California that are never discussed ever again. Guys, you are not ready for a Motel <laughs> California, California episode. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 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 I think that's all, it's all interesting. Um, we haven't really talked about Styles. Styles doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode. Mostly he just feels out of control, and his only way of trying to gain any control is to get Scott to look for Lydia. Yeah. And then we get that bit where he, like, passes out because Lydia's naked, which I was just kind of like, eh, kind of cheap. <laughs> Very cheap. And that was one of the things when uh, Coach Finsock was like, there's a naked girl outside. But then he was like, I lost a testicle to <laughs> <Yeah>. exposure. <laughs> uh, so, it, does it even out? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. If I were to walk into a crime scene naked, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where my hand placement would be. Okay, one over your titties and one, like, yeah. not both of them. I know, I was like, Lydia's really just letting it hang out, huh? I also had Also, Lydia has long hair. She could do the mermaid boob thing, you know what I'm saying? She really could. Also, like, your one hand is, I mean, here's the thing, like, I don't have large titties, so I don't really know, yeah. but I assume that you could still kind of, like, squish them in there with one <laughs> Lydia hand. doesn't have big boobs either. By Lydia, also, I guess I mean Holland Roden. Like, of the things that I would be less comfortable with, like, random <laughs> boobs are, like, secondary on the list. Um, definitely. First thing it covers is my titties. <laughs> I mean, maybe if Quentin Tarantino is at your crime scene. <laughs> Um, Do you think people walk into his audition rooms and take their <laughs> shoes off? <laughs> we 
you know what that just reminded me of though? What? You know when you're like, oh, uh, you should ask people that you've just met who the two characters in the Lord of the Rings that are fucking are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the obvious answer, answer is Frodo and Sam. But the true answer is Legolas and Gimli. <laughs> Sam are totally in love, but that's not the question. <laughs> They're not fucking. No. Legolas and Gimli are fucking. <laughs> Did, wait, was it you who sent me that headcanon that, like, Gimli is, like, extraordinarily handsome and Legolas is kind of <laughs> ugly by everyone's standards? <laughs> I don't know if that was me, but that sounds about right. <laughs> that's very fu- I really How did foot fetish go to <laughs> which two Lord of the Rings No, because you were... You were talking about like what you would cover first, and I was thinking like, yeah, my vagina, <laughs> and you said your feet. But no, no, no. How did that go to Lord of the Rings? No, because it's like you, you said something that I would never have expected, <laughs> and oh. then it's that it's that Lord of the Rings oh, question. Oh, okay, yeah, like Lord of the Rings yeah. question, where mm-hmm. the obvious answer is Sam and Frodo, but the true answer is Legolas and Gimli. I got you. But the truth. So the obvious answer is your vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Observations, please. We know we have. Who have we talked about? Gerard. Oh, bro. I mean, like we haven't. Ta- okay, so mm, we've talked around him, sort of. Um, I want to talk about Gerard and Chris. Okay, really quickly, because uh, the flashback to Chris pulling Scott out of the car and aiming a gun at his forehead was very upsetting. <laughs> One, because you don't want Scott to be in imminent danger, obviously. One, because living in America, you can't look at guns without being like, ah. Literally, you're like, I'm so viscerally uncomfortable in this moment. Um, but it feels very out of character for him. Like, I, I don't think it would have been out of character if he had, like, punched Scott in the face. I wouldn't have liked it, but I don't think it would have been out of character. I feel like that would have been out of character. For him to, like, full-on pull a gun is in character. He's an arms dealer. That I mean, yes, but also he's very adamant like we don't kill yeah. youngins and He's like, still the one who's like we obey the code. Yeah, he kind of he kind of like low key wants a gun too. Like he like I don't I I honestly think that like ever since Scott's whole thing about being like everything I've ever done is to protect your daughter. Like I don't think Chris ever forgot that. No. And also so much of what's gone we're not talking about Gerard, but so much of what's gone on in these past couple of episodes we're you know continuing through season 1 mm-hmm. have made Chris completely like rethink everything he's ever thought before because he's realizing that the people he's obeying are evil. Exactly. So that is what's confusing to me about that flashback scene because I assume it happened post haste. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like how it's framed. And then he's taking a long time to bury this bitch. He really is. Um, I don't know. Maybe the drama's too cold, but that's 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 an excuse like from the Middle Ages where you couldn't like. No, that's the whole. Ser- that's the whole point of Manchester by the Sea. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I get why you didn't see that movie because it stars a known abuser. A known abuser, um, but that's the point of Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. So anyway, um, I just think it's. It's odd. That whole scene is very odd to me um, in terms of, like, Chris's character. And then to have Gerard come in. And I don't I don't think Chris, like, invited him. Um, I think he came because Kate died. But, you know, Chris now has to deal again with a beloved, well, mm, beloved, no, but a respected member of his family coming in and saying, well, fuck the code. Yeah. And I, I, well, interesting thing, Chris 
dad. And he's not Victoria's dad. No, he's Chris's dad. He's for sure Chris's he's dad. He's an Arjun. Yep. So. And then it's like, Allison, call me grandpa. <laughs> Which I said this to you earlier. Old dudes, old white men always want you to fucking call them shit. No, yeah. she's going to call you Gerard because you're weird and a stranger. He's super, super weird. Um, but essentially, Gerard has come in to be damage controlled. But the what is there to control? He's just mad because Kate got ripped apart. Understandable. I'm not saying that like no, like agreed. Yeah. But like, there's no crisis to be managed. Like, there's not a an alpha still out coming around and, and killing people. So what Gerard really wants is to control the inmates. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the I'm. Have well, you ever that seen was the single man. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the single man? No, we've we've talked about it. Okay, well, in The Single Man, there's this, like, really famous scene where um, they're reading Brave New World, and he's basically explaining that, like, fear of the minority is just a perceived threat to the majority. Yeah. Which is, like, a standard fare or whatever, but he's talking about how, like, anything can be considered a threat, and anybody could even be considered a minority if they pose any kind of threat that goes into, you know, freckles. It goes for, you know any kind of power culture or whatever. So when you just see Gerard seeing one person from his, what is effectively considered the majority in the season, that is a threat that then takes over all of them, even though that's a threat that is essentially neutralized in the death of Kate and Peter. That's not how Gerard would see it, because he is the majority being threatened by the quote-unquote minority. Yeah. That's, that's very succinct. Um, that's really what I wanted to talk about. Cool. In terms He's next? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm sorry to go back to Gerard a little bit. Ugh, he sucks. He, he does suck. He's just the least graceful villain. That's my problem. No, because he has this, like, pretension of grace or of elegance, and it's just, like, it's not charm. It's very charming. Um, but And I think often think that the reason why evil people make it to where they are is because they have a certain level of charm. It's like they always feel like sociopaths. Like that, is why, that is why Ted Bundy could murder people, is because he was charming. Yes. That's why. Not because Side he note, was if you're looking. No, he was hideodorous. But he was charming and he played on women's insecurities. Yes. Um, and so we do sometimes get, like, I think that's what makes Peter such an appealing villain is because he is ger- very charming. Yeah. Like, Offer, Gerard has nothing to offer as a villain to pacify you um, into watching his evilness. Well, and having seen so his scenes are infuriating. Having seen that actor in Battle for Galactica, like that's just his shit. Like that's what he does. So, by the way, he is a witch hunter in Sabrina. He's the grandpa witch hunter in Sabrina who comes up and, te- and like tries to show Harvey how to kill witches. That's disgusting. Um, it's like literally the same thing. So, but here's my question. Uh huh. I don't, I, I truly can't remember because the chronology of the show is so bonkers. Bonkers. And then in my head it gets even more bonkers. Because there's no pieces of it together. It's evil. Psychotics. Psychopath. But at one point, um, Chris tells Allison that, like, the women of the matriarchal family, and they're the ones, well, he doesn't say this. Anyway, they're a matriarchal, <laughs> they're a matriarchal system, system is, yeah. is what he says. And that the women are the people who make all of the large decisions because men can't think i don't remember what the actual what the exactual okay what the actual uh exactual is a good what the exact word, word. You use that, one. that he says um are you writing it down 
close in time and I, I like to skirt a little bit, but um the but then Gerard comes in and he's like, No, we're not following the code. This is exactly what we're gonna do. Battle plan. And I I know that Victoria at one point like comes down to the basement with like a plate of cookies and is like, Go get them, boys. Like she's giving them the go ahead. But Gerard's really acting like he's Lawrence in charge here and I just don't like it. Maybe it's like a like you know in countries with um like constitutional monarchies like technically the 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 monarchy is just a placeholder like a whatever but in times of crisis they can take their power back or whatever oh so you're saying that like he is king he is king but like i think victoria is the president okay or the prime minister and gerard is king i like that i i accept it cool um is that your question that was my question okay do you have any other questions Probably. Dude, I have a question. Yeah. Does the Omega eat that person? He's gotta eat something. He maybe maybe another liver? Because he ate the liver and the But why does he eat a liver? As long as he thinks it's part of the body? Yeah, but he can go eat like a fucking animal. Dude, I Twilight style. Eat the deer. (laughs) Um this is like this no, but this is a, a breadcrumb that like never gets resolved. No, at first when Gerard was talking about how like he could have been you know excommunicated excommunicated from his pack, I thought maybe it was because of cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Which is it cannibalism? Is there a real term for it? Yeah, you're still a human. Yeah, they um, make a point of that. Yeah, uh, but other than that, I was just kind of grossed out. There's there's really no point to it. I would understand. Pretty sure even in your most dire situations as a human being, you don't eat other people unless you're on acid salts. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's like lots of recorded cannibalism that we don't need to get into. <laughs> have you heard about the the Donner Party? Yes, of course. Yeah, you have. of course you have. No, you know <laughs> I can't talk about the Donner Party because yeah, I had I to watch know. the documentary and it gave me PTSD. Yeah. So anyway, cannibalism is a thing, but we don't have like. There's no other instance in Teen Wolf of can- even like the Alpha Pack does not cannibalize people. They're just mean. And the guy makes this big point to be like, well, he was dead, and like that's often an excuse that vampires make in media. I'd be like, I you know only drink the blood at the blood bank or whatever. I mean, frankly, I do have less of a moral quandary whether the Teen is dead. Like it's not like you're oh no, I out of a living person. Do but too, but I'm just like, why is this Omega like? Yeah, no. You've been on the run for a while. You probably know which plants are edible. (laughs) No, no, god, nothing in Teen Wolf. No goddamn sense. Do you have any other? Do you have any other questions before we move into observations? The liver thing was very, very Prometheus, by the way. I know I said that to you off the pod, but yes, yeah. Ask us about the lighthouse, guys. (laughs) We saw the lighthouse. We talked about. We have mentioned the lighthouse so many times. But it's did we like it? I don't know. But are we still thinking about it? Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm gonna definitively say that I didn't like it, but I appreciated it. Uh, I definitely had a hard time watching it, but it is without a doubt art. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I write down in my notes that are questions are actually observations. Um, they're they're more like observations, but actually, no. This is kind of this is not a question about like the plot of the episode, but. Um, in terms of fandom, why was it that um, Steric became this huge ship, but Jackson and Derek, that whole scene in the bathroom, if you're going to read into it, was, like, kind of erotic. Oh, yeah. Was that a thing? 
Because I miss No, there's a lot of stuff. If it, Well, all of Jackson and Derek's scenes do happen in the locker room, which, like, we can talk about the inherent homoeroticism of male locker rooms in teen television another time, but it is there. Mm-hmm. All of their scenes happen together in, like, a dark locker room. Yeah. So, um... Uh, I do. I don't think I ever saw any of these shits again. Okay. Well, we are gonna have to talk about this. Fuck. <laughs> you're, you're was that? There's yeah. like this huge bump downstairs. Oh god. It's we are gonna have cool. to talk about hysteric Christmas time. Yeah, unfortunately, but it's okay. Guys, you can shift what you want, as long as it's not gross. Yeah. Um. You know what I'm talking about. But sometimes you we don't weirdos. want to. Um. Yeah. So that was my other question. But uh, we can move into to O's now. Observation. Observation, and this is just a continuity error on Teen Wolf <laughs> um, set designs, or not set design, costume designs and makeup. Uh, Jackson is like gushing all that black blood and just like in the bathroom when he has this thing with Derek, and it's just like pouring it all over his shirt and on his neck, and then Derek pulls him out of the stalls and he's clean. Only his nose is red. And you know what's really funny about that? Is that like the IMDb pages of Teen Wolf episodes are very sparsely populated, but like under trivia, it's like you know, bloopers, oopsies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone wrote about that two times. Like, two people added that note. Because um, it's so egregious. Yeah. Like, ugh. I mean, similarly to that, like... I mean, like, it, sometimes I kind of give that stuff a little bit of a pass, because I'm like, what if it was, like, you know, the next day, they had to do this on, on you know, a reshoot, blah, 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 blah. But I was just kind of like, just a dribble. Did you see that? Would have been fun. Um, that interview with Mark Hamill where he was talking about working on the first Star Wars solo with Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and I don't know who he was talking to it might have been the director and they were coming out of the tracking tactic scene and he's like you know I really think that if we just come out of the tracking tactic scene like you know continuity wise like my hair should be wet and I should look gross and Harrison Ford apparently looked at him and he's like kid it ain't that kind of CG <laughs> bless also, Mark Harrison Hamill, Ford Mark Hamill has a stellar Harrison Ford impression um, but that's kind of what it makes me think of, like, Kid, it ain't that kind of TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Hamill has kind of taken over the place of being, like, internet grandpa for Leonard Nimoy. Well, R.I.P. Um, L.L.A.P. Oh, poor. I, um, I miss Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> me, too. Although, you know, all of the people who I miss and who I would want to comment on our current situation, like, George Carlin, I miss him so much. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, like, you know, you're kind of lucky you're dead, and I kind of don't. I don't wish you were here. You know, they brought that up at the end of, did you ever see Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary? No. Um, I've never cried so hard in a movie. <laughs> Literally, I cried the entire way through. I saw it with my friend Jonathan. He had never seen Mr. Rogers, and we both saw it, and we were just sobbing the entire way through. And at the end, they were, like, talking about, like, what Bud Rogers would think of, like, the whole situation. And it was, like, hard to speculate on because you know that it would make him very, very sad. But also, like, thank God Bud Rogers didn't have to be sad. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of, like, George Carlin, I think this man would have worked himself into himself. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a stroke. Um, <laughs> I think he would, like, work himself into a heart attack on stage. Like, yeah. Like, coming up with material for that. So, it's kind of like all the people who missed that. We're very sorry and sad that you're gone, but also, uh, you lucky. lucky. you. <laughs> <laughs> this shit sucks. Um, just one other thing on a continuity or one of my observations is that when uh, Scott and Styles are picked up at the funeral, it not is a continuity error, just a, a blooper just that they kept, like a ooh ding dong. No, 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 not not that. This oh, is the okay. timing situation. Yeah. Um, when they're picked up at the funeral, it is daytime, and they hear that call about the ambulance. And by the time that they get to the ambulance, I don't know how long it takes, but 
24-hour drive, it is nighttime. Okay, but we know that the funeral takes place at least an hour after school. So let's say it's four, and it's winter, and I, I don't guess. know if you've been in winter, and it's four, you know, but it gets dark at four here. It just, it seems very out of place to me yeah. as, like... No, I agree. And I'm not necessarily a casual viewer, but I do think even as a casual viewer, I'd be you like, hey. My thing about Teen Wolf is that they never... There's, like, exactly one episode that I can remember the sun rising. Mm, it's and all, it's because it's, it's a night. plot point. Yeah. And there is no episodes where they, like, play into it getting dark and people being like, it's getting dark. There's, like, no sun setting. No. It's just either light or dark. Yep. Pick one. Um, I have, like, I have two more observations, I think, but what's another one do you have? Uh... introduced early on that Chris is like not with his family anymore and it feels like like that when he's like we go by the code and Gerard's like there is no code and then Chop's like I'm half mm-hmm. I wish that there had been and this isn't necessarily an observation it's more like a god Teen Wolf you've had an o- opportunity here mm-hmm. I wish that we had had a season of Chris Argent being a double agent yeah I'll yeah. uh could say all of snakes but yeah snakes are worse snakes are worse um and i just feel like we forgive chris he doesn't necessarily have Very a redemption easily. arc but even as the audience you're like i think you've seen him go through so much shit that you're like i get it but i wish we had had a little bit more of this season of him maybe finding a redemption yeah he's things one um just on a, an acting note i'm very impressed with daniel Tarnan's american accent um it's I, always good British and it's people, funny because now uh, he does all these netflix series where he's like i'm only going to speak english thank you everybody i will no longer be american goodbye yeah i got um, a little australian at the end i promise i'm pretty good at accents now <clears throat> british people often just have such a hard time like keeping a consistent american accent and i can think of like several people who are incredibly good at it like john bale Obviously, like the king. I mean, but then you have people like Benedict Cumberbatch, who literally could not be bothered to do an American accent. He well, just does not life. care at all. He is not at all. Not at all. Um, Troy, Hugh Laurie, fantastic American accent. But no, I think his Daniel Tarnan's accent is like so good. So good. My sister saw him in the Trader Joe's in Neho once. She was like, <laughs> "Love Teen Wolf," and he was like, "Thanks," and she just went away. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a really cute definitely unscripted bleeper moment in this episode where the sheriff comes and picks up uh cotton styles because they're chilling at kate's funeral where they're definitely not supposed to be and uh the sheriff is like pick up my tie and styles is like yes yeah, sorry i know i'm supposed to ask there is no context for that whatsoever it almost certainly was like they were doing a take his like slip on tie fell off and he was just you know in the moment and was like pick up my tie and yeah and uh dylan o'brien was like fuck <laughs> but they kept it in and it's very cute and it's very like you know it's just it's a small moment but it's yeah. very father son and it, it does uh, we've been saying this for <laughs> the beginning of the podcast like their relationship is the most unwavering and interesting and wholesome of all 
And it's just little moments like that. Because, and and when you get to 6A, oh. And oh, I, Dad. <laughs> I think that that's, like, a huge credit to how well Dylan O'Brien and Lauren Duffy work together. Because if they were not that in tune, that would not have made it into the episode because it wouldn't have been funny. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, so props. I really like them. Like the two of them. All right, let's close out this episode because it's been a little long. Mm-hmm. Not Grinch bonus episode long. <laughs> uh, guys, that was a terrible episode, and we're very sorry. No, I actually am thinking about it, and I think it was good, but it did go super too long. We focused on the wrong things. <laughs> we just really love the Grinch. We do. We want to share that with All you. right. Should we go ahead and do our pack stats and the off other weeks? We sure, sure will. Um, you can do the pack stats because I don't have them written down. Okay, so zero eyes minus the um, title sequence, which we've never talked about on the show, and we can do next time, but I really The title sequence of Funeral comparable to, like, HBO title sequences. It's very good. It's so good. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but my ringtone is is the Teen Wolf theme. Um, Just to let people know that I am a deeply cringy person. And that we're very committed to this podcast. Obviously. Um, So, no eyes except for the title sequence. One claws. We actually get the whole, like, flipping claws out, like it's a fucking switchblade when Scott... um, It makes the noise and everything is great. Yeah, it's great. Um, it also kind of makes you wonder, like, why Scott didn't get himself down from that trap sooner. Whatever. Not the point. That's um, true. It's funny that, uh, you know, I love how in True Blood, that also happens with the fangs. Yes. They, like, you get, like, out. It's kind of thing. Uh, you know, I didn't like that initially, but then I was like, this is a nice little quirk for, like, our character. I also like that they're shampoo people on the, not your canines, but the second floor. Yes. Yeah. Um, three shirts off. This episode starts Naked. with... I mean, Jackson is technically... He has the Captain Kirk titty window. Yeah, he does. Um, that That is truly the most delightful thing about watching the original series, is, like, how many pairs can they put in one Shatner's shirt. So much of it is so dumb. Um, it's so dumb, and it's so delightful. And then uh, Danny's not wearing a shirt, and then Alex is kind of wearing a video. Why they make this big point that? about telling Danny to put a shirt on, and you're like, we get it. He's Danny's hot. hot. Um, and then Leah, obviously, Leah's like, completely naked. Not covering her feet. <laughs> um, and then I actually didn't write this down because I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention, but there was a receipt ad um, when we decided to try and get it from it, the Yeah, he's like going through machine. some fixed receipts. And, and there was like a really egregious receipt ad in season three that <laughs> me and my older sister have been laughing at since the day it happened. It's really bad. Well, but. we're about to enter the era of like egregious receipt ads, so I'm very True. excited about that too. Yeah. Um, um, so that wraps up Pack Stats. Yeah, who's your off of the week? This has been kind of hard. Too much shit happens in this episode. I get it. It's a sort of beginning of the season and here, there, there, there. No one can shine. Yeah, it was, I think, I mean, the thing that I found most noble out of anybody was Scott agreeing to show up to the funeral mm-hmm. to support Allison, especially because she was so messed up about it, as you would be, you know? And this is when we still really like Allison in this season and, like, later we'll be like, ugh, but, like, you really feel for her. You know that she's been duped and, like, Scott is being so much more open to that then maybe i think anybody really would it would be really hard to be like i understand that when somebody is grieving somebody who morally is repulsive well i think scott understands that not to the same extent but you know when your parent abandons you it's a it's not the same kind of loss but it is a loss mm-hmm. um and you miss them even though they're no longer present at their absence from your life so i think scott has Kind of in that vein, my off of the week is Allison. Really, really, because I God, I mean, I love it when we can pick a woman. Yeah, 
woman. Name a woman, Yoga Matt. Um, no, I think she's Me, at the director's nominations for the Golden Globes. Name a woman, Yoga Matt. Um, I'm sure someone is going to come to mind. Greta? We're here for you. you. (laughs) We're pulling for you. Um, no, I think that Allison... Allison is such an interesting character because she is very strong, but also easily manipulated, um, and she's frankly often manipulated into seemingly very nefarious purposes, but she stands tall, and she goes to the funeral, and she doesn't punch those girls, (laughs) which is probably what I would have done, um, you know, and she remains calm, and she smiles, uh, and I know that we put a lot of undue pressure on Allison to, like, be heroic, Mm -hmm. but I do think that, like, in this circumstance, Allison's doing the very best that she can, and, you know, she still, she's retaining her moral center still now. Yeah. So, in this episode, that's what I think about her. Good one. All right, you guys. That was the first episode of season two. Yeah. Which is crazy. I feel good. Do you feel good? I feel good. Awesome. I feel good. Um, If you guys enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, we hope that you follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, and that's also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr, which is just TeenWolfReWolf. Sometimes I'm on there. It's really (laughs) hard to pay attention to Tumblr at all yeah um but i'm gonna try to be more engaging with everybody uh from there you can follow all of our personal social medias should you choose um other than that no if you would like to leave us a review on itunes we'd greatly appreciate it we got one a little while ago that brought us to tears it was so sweet we love hearing from you guys we love when you dm us we love when you tweet at us we want to hear you guys your opinions on the show um, if you ever want to send us a longer form kind of note, we do have an email, just yes. teenwolfreewolf at gmail. We'd love to respond to you. Um, we read them out loud to our fans, so we do. Just, if that's an incentive <laughs> just, for you. It makes us happy. <laughs> we love knowing that you guys are there, and we love you guys, yeah. and we want to hear from you all the time. Um, and these last couple of weeks, I think, have been really hard for a lot of people, so it's nice that we can all get together and talk about Teen Wolf. Yeah. Um, we're your family now. We're your I'm your new... <laughs> Mom. <laughs> All that I can and if you're below the age of 17, I'm definitely your mom. If you're in your 20s, we can decide who's mom. <laughs> and then that makes me the fun dad. That's what you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Only there to have a good time, no emotional support. We love it. It's not about my dad these days. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Next anyway. week on the Teen Wolf Rewap. Christian and Jillian get into <laughs> Jillian's daddy issues. Uh, of which there are many. But that's not the point. The point is that we love you. We loved you. Loved. <laughs> past tense. We love you currently. We missed you, but now we're back. Um, and we hope that you have a wolf of a week.